It's the Super 90s Brothers! Garen. There was a Welcome to the Super 90s Brothers. Ow! Where we do hazy memory rests on the most vigilante, vigilante, most vigilant endorsed decade ever. Vigilante. Vigilante. It's not vigilante. <laughs> well, that, that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> uh, where we do hazy memory rests on the most vigilant endorsed decade ever. No, no, it's vigilante. It's not vigilante. It's never been vigilante. What, what are you saying? That I spelled it wrong or that I'm not using the word right? You're not saying the word right. This is not a tomato, tomato situation. It's vigilant. Who says vigilant? Everyone. I'm vigilant. Vigilante. Um, all right. Say vigilant. I, oh, I've vigilant. never... Vigilant is... Vigilant? No. Okay. No, I think you're wrong on this. Uh, well, were you hazy memory rests on the most vigilante endorsed decade ever? I'm your host, Brennan Pointer. Along with me is my co-host, Adam J. Pitzler. And today we're talking about Boondock Saint. Ow! Well, we're back, Adam. We're back at it. Took us long enough. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, life is short, Adam, and you know we're just—I got a lot going on. Tons of podcasts just happening out the ears and all my orifices. That's not true. Well, that's good. I. Um, but we all know you always crawl back to your number one podcast, Super Nineties Bros. That's correct. This is my number one podcast. <clears throat> of all the podcasts I do, this is the most listened to podcast. Ah. Um, so uh, I'm I'm excited to do this this episode. Um, this brings back a lot of great memories. Uh, but, this is uh, this was this movie was very popular when we were in high school. Super, yeah, very very popular. For that, like, how how are you doing? I'm good. I I took a couple vacations the last two weeks. Um, mm. or excuse me, the last month or so. Mm. I went to uh, Orlando. Uh, which was really fun for my sister's birthday. And then I went on a special trip overseas, which we're going to talk about in a segment a little later. Fun. I, I'm excited to hear about the trip you went on and that we're going to talk about later. So, uh, yeah, well, let's let, let's get into it, Adam. Let's before that, before we get into it, let's get into the most important piece of this plugging ourselves. I, I love a good plug up me. <laughs> So uh, listen, if you if you like plugs and you, uh, you can rate the show. Give us those sick five-star reviews on Apple iTunes Music. Reach out to us, super90sbrothers at gmail.com, all spelled out, at super90sbrothers. Brennan is at spocastpods, adampitzler.com, all the shit. Reach out, interact. We're all about the 90s. Tell us what shows you want to hear. Tell us what shows you like. Tell us what shows you didn't like. Tell us what about my personality makes you want to jump off a cliff. Mm. Like, just just reach out. Yeah. Plug those orifices. Ow. Well, this movie is technically a, a 2000 movie, right? But it, it, it's, well, it's well, 1999. It I mean, it, I mean, it was, the script was written in 96. It was in for years 
in well excuse me for a few years in the 90s it got made in the 90s shot in the 90s it was released in late 1999 overseas and like the third week of january 2000 so we're gonna bend the rules a little bit to allow us to do boondock saints um and like we've been doing lately i want to set the mood for you guys set a little scene so i want you to close your eyes travel back in time for a moment picture yourself it's january in the year 2000 so literally the millennium has just kicked off who wants to be a millionaire is the number one show on tv degeneration x is telling america to suck it and the radio starts playing for him and himself and everybody around because he ain't got nobody to listen I'm blue, I've been Can you imagine? I could have gone on for about 20 more seconds and it would have been the same words over and over and over again. Brennan was cringing oh. during that song, which is not something he typically does for the musical portions of our show. That movie, that movie, that song is so bad. It got, it got canceled. It got like in Spokane where we live, the local radio station, like it was one of those songs that like it got played so much, but they the the disc jockeys hated it so much that they got the listeners to like basically get it canceled and never play it again because like that song is oh my god it's god awful and it's and like this is the new millennium and this is what we're starting with is this song what a bad way to start 2000 <laughs> uh so that was blue daba d by eiffel 65 which a penny if you can give me any other eiffel 65 song fuck a penny i'll give you 20 bucks mm. name one i can't you, i really can't can. no one can no um so yeah it's a you know it's it's an early 2000s techno i, I don't even know what to call it. it's it's just a goofy techno club song mm-hmm. yeah and the and, and the the video for it is the most bizarre video in the world like this is like early, I don't, I mean, I guess it's early CGI animation, obviously, but like it's bad or it's early bad CGI animation. Uh, it's basically like aliens just like nodding their head back, like rocking their head back, back and forth to the beat of the song. It's very, it's very cheap. It's like a very economic video. It seems like they hired one computer programmer to make the one blue guy. And they just use that same image again and again and again, doing the exact same motions again and again and again, and just kind of populated him through each each little scene. It's they're like these little blue aliens with webbed fingers that are flying around through outer space, and they're they're like clubbing at a rave and doing like the hey ho thing with their with their little blue arms, and then the singers at one point just start beating the shit out of them for reasons unknown. And uh, yeah, weird fucking video. I, I'm proud to tell you, I'd never seen this video. Mm. before last week when i was doing the show notes this was this was not my kind of song i i thought it was weird at the time i wouldn't say i hated it because i didn't listen to stations that played it a lot i didn't develop a hatred mm. but i definitely didn't get it but there's a lot of popular music that i just don't get i mean there's nothing to like to really get here like it was it was bad uh and uh you know and it I, i'm sad to say like this you mentioned like in your notes you say this song is number 10 at the time number nine in the u.s 
I, this song reached number one. Like this was a like a number one hit song, which scares me. Which, I, which shows how we weren't listening to the right music in the early millennium. Yeah, we 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 come to this conclusion a lot, right? We're like we're looking back of that was the number one song. Mm. Like, what is wrong with us? And it's like I've I've taken the position there's a lot of things wrong with us, <laughs> and like of course that's number one. Of course you know, Norbert made $200 million. Like, of course these things happen. Like we're, we're not a respectable society in, in many, <laughs> many, many senses. I guess it is, it is the definition of a one hit wonder. I would say like, it's not the, the best example. Like I would say like Lou Bega's number Mumbo number five is a much, much better example of a, of a good number one. This is a, of a, of a good one hit wonder. of a good one hit wonder. This is an example of a bad one hit wonder, a really bad one. Yeah. Like one. they're one, their one song is like you grow to like loathe it yeah uh, so this is kind of one of those i can't believe this is popular songs i can't believe this band made money off of this piece of shit and uh at, at, like at one point the lyrics are blue are the feelings that i hide inside is this song just a giant cry for help i think so so um, he's just some like depressed like techno dude fucking around with like computer program blue aliens yeah, he probably recorded this in his mom's basement does look like that it does look like this dude recorded it in his basement i mean it's not I, i'm not far off i'm guaranteed like this i mean most techno like house music like the the those they're those people are making music in their basement and they're probably depressed or i'm not saying they're all depressed but you know like they're i mean they're artists this guy was you're an artist you're not like artists are you know they have a a very they're very sensitive people <laughs> could you imagine if this guy like uh he gets famous off of blue and he like he writes all this other music and does all this other stuff and he's a poet and all this shit and everyone's like he goes to like these you know these big grand stages to speak bill and all these like idiots are out in the crowd going play blue dabadi like that's all they care about like he and he it just makes him more depressed yeah <laughs> like you thought he was blue before yeah he and when we were in high school i remember this like making fun of this song cuz like it's just like the lyrics are i'm blue da ba dee da ba die and we always like made our own lyrics to it and it was always like i'm blue i believe i'm a guy like that was uh, i don't know why that that's the one memory i have of this song is like because i didn't listen to it but we made fun of it and that was like yeah that was the lyric we came up with that i remember the most mm. yeah well that's you could have been a songwriter i could have been for this guy anyway yeah um so speaking of one hit wonders let's get to our featured movie Troy Duffy's Boondock Saints. Ow. So the budget of this movie was $6 million. The box office was 30000 Oh, wow. It only box office $30,000 mm. in the theater. It had an incredibly brief theatrical run. Nobody knew about it. There was no money for marketing. And it just dissipated into nothingness. And it was one of those movies that if Blockbuster didn't exist, no one would have ever known about this movie. Like, if this movie came out today, like, it, it would never have any staying power but for some reason it was reviewed by the right kind of i don't know like guys that work at game informer and wired magazine and, and shit like that like they people that had some influence got a hold of this movie wrote some reviews and like it became very popular with like white males between like age 15 and 30 and like boondock saints i heard about it probably the same way most people did was a bunch of like 
goofy high school boys telling me how awesome it was about these like two brothers who kill people and like that was like literally the synopsis i was given it's called boondock saints you have to see it that's what i remember i remember renting it with like a buddy and you know actually thinking it was really good it was like it was kind of one of those rare like indie movies that you're like wow i like this at least at the time mm. yeah in the 2000s like we were in a really weird time in america because you know this is obviously post columbine but like it's also like there was a lot of movies that were just very centric around like like white men like fight club matrix uh boondock saints there's i mean there's a ton of other ones too but like there's something about that time where like a lot of people were a lot of like young white men were watching these and they like they it resonated with them I, I don't know why but like it I don't know what resonated this with me. Like, I don't know why I loved watching this movie, but I did. I loved watching Fight Club. I loved watching uh, uh, Matrix. Yeah, I did too. And I don't know. It's vis- It's a very visceral mm. movie. Yeah. You know, it. I think that appeals to a, a hormonal teenage boy who feels like nobody understands me. And he's got all this rage and you can't do anything about it. And, and life isn't fair. And uh, the Boondock Saints were out to settle the score you know they were out to exact revenge on the on the bad guys mm. and that was something that you could get behind so adam when did you first see this movie then pretty sure i was a junior i'm pretty sure it was like 2001 i was a, i was a junior in high school i want to say i rented it with a buddy um but i don't i don't really remember my initial viewing experience mm. do you i watched this movie quite often throughout high school like in youth group settings after youth and we would watch this movie and i think we would like try to find the meaning of like spiritually like what it meant like biblically like doing that kind of (laughs) stupid small group as if this troy duffy writer guy had anything like that going on in his subtext well you know it's very uh it's very catholic there's a lot of catholic tones in it like they're they're irish catholic the main characters and i don't know we were trying to find the the meaning behind that and ultimately you know they're just Vigil, vig, vigilant, uh, vigilante. Vigil. I don't think that's correct. <laughs> uh, you don't know about this word. There was nothing to get from it. They were just, you know, they were trying to cleanse the city of the bad people, right, Adam? It was a cult- cultural phenomenon. Like, I mean, like you said, it only made thirty k in the in the box office, but like blockbuster, I must have made it famous. Like, I don't know what. I don't know how this movie became such a cult classic and i I read a little bit about there's a lot of movies kind of like this very emotional charged a lot of shooting a lot of killing a lot of like revenge and like kind of uh unapologetic violence in the wake of reservoir dogs Mm -hmm. like all throughout the 90s there's like a ton of these movies and a lot of them did just really well with like like white males like like i said like 15 to 34 whatever that demographic is and it's totally vigilante i'm like i'm embarrassed that you don't know this word Okay. I'm going to definitely find the... I already did it. it. I did it while you were just talking. It's vigilante and it's somebody that like, you know, they're like self-appointed rule keepers or something. You know, they want to keep the peace. Vigilante. I believe that the word can be said both ways now. um, Why why don't you Google pronunciation? Okay, I will. But I want to say, I want to get back to the cult classic aspect of the 90s because I feel like cult classics don't really exist that much anymore in our day and age with streaming because if a movie, like movies that are cult classic in the 90s they it was because they you found them found out about them on like vhs and you'd go to your local video store and like you'd hear about it now like with the much the internet takes over day to day like movies that are that would be considered cult classics now 
are are getting their attention like as they're coming out wouldn't you agree um no i don't agree with that okay. i think that the the scales have just changed there's way more movies and tv shows and things to watch these days and so everything kind of slots down into position and there's all the popular mainstream shit then there's like the secondary shit then there's like good fringe shit that like sub sex of people really enjoy and get popular i i'm I can especially think of like a lot of horror movies that this happened with in the last like 15 years. They were like kind of indie horror movies that somebody thought was good. And over time they became cult classics amongst the horror community. So I, I know that there's examples like that. And this was just one of those at the time action induced white guy with gun movies. Mm, yeah. <laughs> You're right. Adam. They are, it's two different words that I'm using. There's vigilante. Yeah, I know. Vigilant is like you watch something closely, right? Similar meaning, but yes. I, I don't think it is a similar meaning. Isn't it like vigilant is you're, you're, you're paying very close attention to something? Well, I don't know the definition. I'm looking up the pronunciation. Yeah, you're right. Keeping careful watch for possible danger or difficult. I don't know why I'm, I don't even know why I'm arguing with you. You're, you, you write, you write for a living. So, uh, I failed English. <laughs> I, I don't like throwing that in people's face when I'm arguing with them, but right. I appreciate you saying that because it's often in the back of my mind. I'm like, you know, I love words, right? <laughs> right. Like, well, then when you like, when you just gave me the, the actual dictionary, like description of it, I was like, I'm, I don't know why I'm even arguing. This. <laughs> I just like, I don't say the word vigilante that much. And this I'm, and I'm also like giving the wrong emphasis on the wrong s syllable. So like I'm making it sound really dumb when I say it vigilante. <laughs> that'll all be part that'll be part of the show okay uh we're, we're happy to hear you do that you know can we get to our favorite part of the show no we can't because i don't yes we can brennan's bad synopsis Ow. this is a really difficult brennan's bad synopsis because he's 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 making excuses already because i i started watching the movie the other day and i did not get all the way through this movie and as I was watching the movie, it made me realize how much I don't remember about this movie. All I really remember is the three characters, Norman Reddus and Sean Patrick Flannery and Will Willem Dafoe. Like, but there's a handful of other characters that are in this movie that I do not remember. I don't have a great Brennan synopsis. Like, I can't go through this movie scene by scene. Uh, no one's expecting you to give a great synopsis. The name of the segment is Brennan's bad synopsis. Yeah, okay. So, so rather than try and make excuses and dance around the job... Just go, and I want to hear you fuck up. We all want to hear you fuck up. In a nutshell, the the movie Boondock Saints is about you know two brothers, two there are two Irish Catholic brothers, and for whatever reason they're inspired to like to cleanse their hometown of like um of of evil of like uh and. I, I almost want to say like they're on like on a mission from God, like a blues brothers. Like it's kind of like yeah. that. And, yeah. and so basically they just, they hunt down all of these. I, I It's mostly Russians. It's all Russian, right? Like, no, no, no. That's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So like, and they just hunt down different cr gangsters, like crime bosses in their, in their hometown and they start killing them all. And then, but, and through that, they, they meet Willem Dafoe's character who is a FBI agent. And he is, the most eccentric, flamboyant uh, character in the history of Willem Dafoe characters. Like this is like a, a Green Goblin to like times a hundred. Like watching his scenes in this movie. Like I did watch his scenes. Like I watched like a a cut of them. Just had so much fun with this character, and 
I think this movie actually probably got me, got my love for Willem Dafoe, but we'll get to that later. And this is where I get fuzzy is like he tracks them down and then does he help them or does he, does he get killed? And that's the one thing I don't remember is like, I don't remember how this movie ends. I just remember like the, the, the base base of it is like these vigilantes, these twin, these twin brothers are killing all these people and Willem Dafoe is on the trail. But then the movie ends with a big shootout in a courthouse and I don't really know what it all what all happens like this is like that's what I don't I don't know the conclusion of this of this story well that was bad it wasn't so much funny bad as it was just bad bad um I'm missing so many pieces aren't I yeah well you are and you aren't I mean I really the movie you said it it's about these two brothers just going around killing bad guys that guys that they think are bad mafiosos perverts you know weirdos mm. guys Russian mobsters that were after their Italian racist friend mm. and uh they just go kill people yeah and and they become very comfortable doing it and good at doing it and they have a lot of money to buy a lot of guns and shit even though they work at this shitty butcher shop i don't think willem defoe's dies i don't think he yeah, dies because no, he's in the sequel there's like this one big italian mob boss and i can't remember his name and he keeps like beating the legal system so the brothers are out killing all these mafioso dudes that work for this big mafioso and the big mafioso guy hires like an assassin like straight out of prison this old like long white-haired irishman mm. played by billy Connolly, yeah called il duce he hires il duce to go kill the brothers because the brothers are fucking his shit up and el duce tries and they get in this big shootout and he el duce shoots off one of their fingers or maybe it was the italian guy's finger i don't remember somehow like il duce realizes when they're praying that these are his sons and like the assassin right. <laughs> he's like oh yeah and this this is like several scenes after he's been he's seen them he's been shooting guns at them he didn't know it was his own sons till he heard the family prayer and we'll play that for you later so el duce hears them giving the family prayer and he's like holy shit these are my sons and the sons are like hey we we kill bad people now for fun and he's like oh i want to kill bad people too so the very end of the movie is the three of them breaking into the courtroom right before the big mafioso is about to beat a murder rap again because of a corrupt system and they give this big speech and they like assassinate him on tv in front of all these people because the world is better without him mm. and that's and and willem dafoe looks the other way or something yeah. like he he's not he's kind of complicit that's how i kind of remember it but yeah the the dad him being the dad like because i i did watch that scene from grabbing the clip and i was like i i knew that had some part of it i didn't even really remember that character that well is that a big revelation in the movie when they find out that it's his dad i think it was supposed to be i don't know that it was done quite right like right. we'll talk more about first time writer director troy duffy um a lot later in the show but he didn't he didn't really capitalize on some of his scenes like a more seasoned director would mm. and and that was one of them they didn't really set up that there was this long lost father relationship so when this guy turned out to be his father it's like oh it's his dad oh weird you know it wasn't like there could have been a scene earlier where the two of them were praying over their long list they thought their dad was gone or something you know it, they could have done something to establish that these two even had a relationship with their father or something like that. Instead, it's kind of out of left field. Oh, it's his dad? The assassin's their dad? Oh, they're all together now. Cool. Problem solved. They don't have El Duce after them anymore. El Duce is now with them. The end. So did they get in a firefight with their dad? Like, do they, like... Yeah, that was the firefight! It's when El Duce, like, finds them 
he like finds them at some house after they've killed a bunch of mobster dudes and he pulls out like he opens his like trench coat like the matrix and he's got like six guns strapped to his chest and he keeps pulling them out and shooting and shooting when willem defoe's retelling the story it's cool because he retells the story he thinks there's six guys standing there so when you watch the flashback there's six dudes when really it was just il duce with six guns i like uh, that yeah yeah i i guess i you know, I don't know where, when a good time to get to this is. I guess it, we can talk about it now. When I started this movie, I was just kind of cringing through the opening credits. Like, it's a really poorly edited movie. Poorly directed is what it is. It's poorly directed. Don't blame the editor. Okay, well, it, the, the opening scene is just like a really weird montage of the brothers working in like a meat factory. And I guess it's kind of setting the scene of where where they're coming from it's they live in boston is this is that assumed yeah. is that i don't know yeah, they're in boston they're in boston yeah it doesn't open very traditionally that's so true it's a bunch of little vignettes of the brothers doing little things you're like how does this add up who are these people what is going on here including them like working at a butcher shop and then they they beat up this giant militant lesbian <laughs> in this in this scene over the rule of thumb he, they're like teaching her how to use like a like a meat cutter and it, the flannery says something he's like oh that's a good rule of thumb and she's like rule of thumb you know in the old days women couldn't be beat as long as the stick was thinner than a man's thumb and one of them goes oh it should have been the rule of wrist then and they, they get in a big fight and like the two of them are like punching this woman out like it's a really awkward like hey this is our main characters you better like them they're like beating up this woman <laughs> yeah it it really made me disinterested in the movie from the from the get. Do you want to get into the do you want to get into the characters of this uh film? Yeah. Yeah, so the two brothers, Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus. So Sean Patrick Flannery, who was the weirdo kid from the movie Powder. Did you ever see that movie? I do, but I don't re I don't remember it that well. Yeah, I don't remember it either. I just remember he was like this ugly bald like albino looking kid that had some kind of weird powers and he was like in high school. That's that's what I remember. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange movie, and I didn't you know I wouldn't even know that Sean Patrick Flannery was Powder or care about it, and without seeing his IMDb, I must only know his name because of Boondock Saints, because like I don't really know him from anything else. Well, he was young Indiana Jones, oh. which he was in the series, and that ran for a few years, and he was in the movie Suicide Kings, okay, which I like mm -hmm. with um Christopher Walken and jay moore and a couple other famous people there's a uh, dennis lear there's gonna be a lot of famous people in the movie suicide kings it's not a bad 90s like kind of um crime thriller and he was in like 50 b movies after that like a bunch of shit but like you know he's the star he's had a he's had a good working career and then norman reedus around that time he did blade 2 he was like blade's little crony that betrays him at the end in blade 2 he was in the movie Eight Millimeter. He was in this piece of shit movie called Deuces Wild. Whenever I get a chance to talk about Deuces Wild, I always tell anybody, maybe the one of the worst movies I've ever seen, Deuces Wild. It's like it's sort of like Jets and Sharks, but trying to be cool the whole time, and it's not cool at all. It's so uncool. <laughs> it's one of those movies where like. Everything they do, you they're trying to act like everyone and it's really cool. And I, I can't think of anybody that bought it. Like you're watching with man, these guys are fucking lame. Like none of them are cool. You feel like you could beat them all up. Mm. And uh anyway, Deuce is wild, pile of shit. 
And and then obviously Norman Reedus went on to do Walking Dead, which is he's most famous for, and everybody started liking him after that because that character was pretty cool in the early seasons. And their names are Connor and Murphy McManus. And they're twin brothers, not um. Again, What's it called when you're not identical? It's uh, fraternal. So twins. your kids are fraternal. Correct. Twins. You can't have identical boy and girl. The two brothers work at this shitty place. They live in this shitty apartment. They don't seem to have any money or anything going for themselves except they randomly like speak like eight languages a piece somehow. And they've got this one like trashy kind of connected Italian friend played by David Della Rocca and his name is Rocco. And their Italian friend gets in some kind of trouble with the Russian mob at the very beginning of the movie. And these Russians like crash their bars. They're like local pubs, Irish pubs, St. Patty's Day party. So the brothers and their barmates all kind of kick the shit out of these Russians. And then the next day, the Russians are all pissed off because they got beat up. So they like they go to the brother's house and they they're going to kill them. And they like uh, they handcuff one to a toilet and they take the other one down in the alley to execute him for some reason, because that's what you do. Right. You do it out in the open. Mm -hmm. And the one who's chained to the toilet, like breaks the toilet off of the subfloor. And then like walks the toilet out to the ledge of the fucking building because he climbed up and got on top of the building somehow carrying a toilet. I don't know how that happened. And then he does like a flying toilet bomb off like three stories onto one of the fucking Russian dudes head and kills him like via porcelain toilet, you know, power bomb, <laughs> which is a it's kind of a cool it's kind of a cool scene. I mean, I, I don't think it was set up quite right, but I like the end. I like that you're doing a flying toilet bomb. That's original. Uh, so they kill these Russians and then like they get they get like a taste for blood and like everyone's like, oh, those Russians are a piece of shit anyway. Nobody needs them. And they beat the rap like everyone's helping them, like everybody likes them. So like nobody's really after them. The cops like appreciate that these Russian shit heads are dead. They decide to get into vigilanteism randomly. They're like, oh, I liked killing those bad people. Let's kill more bad people. And that's that's how it goes. And so their their sleazy Italian friend Rocco like points them to some other low lives in the city. And I think that's where they like it's like Ron Jeremy and he's in like a kind of like a a blue I don't know what to call it. You're like in a little room and you're like kind of you're Willem Dafoe called it playing with your fireman. You're you're in a little room playing with your fireman while some woman dances. Oh and the the brothers go to this location and they start like shooting up all these dudes that are in there like you know, putting out fires. But they didn't, they're just watching women naked? Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, you know, there there's people that need to be killed. And then there's Ron Jeremy, who's just, you know, relieving some tension. Yeah, that doesn't like they're and, doing anything. It sounds like they're doing something legal and that they're getting killed for it. Yeah, the, I think there might've been more to it. I oh, think there okay. might've been like, oh, this Ron Jeremy guy, he also like, you know, he, he hurts kids or, you know, yeah. something... I'm sure that they like spiced it up a bit with some dialogue, but at the time he's literally just watching a woman dance in like a little private room and they like show up and kill him and everybody else in the room. Uh, and so then they're like getting good at it. So then they go buy all these guns and they, there's this scene where they get a rope and they, they do it a couple more times. They just go, it, the scene is just, the movie's just a series of them going places where there's bad guys and killing them. Yeah. It's just, it's just a series of, going to people's houses and killing the bad guys in fun, weird ways. Yeah, like, seems, that's all really the movie is. It seems like that's what Troy Duffy was mostly into, is, like, having a movie with a lot of guns, a lot of firefights. Machismo. It reminds me of, like, a 
like Rambo three or something. Like, it's just like, it's so over the top with the killing and the guns and the good and bad. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not very deep. It's not a deep movie. Do the brothers, do they rob a bank to get all this money? No, I, it's a little, Oh, you know what? I think they might've got it off with some of the dead mafiosos, but I don't really remember. And mm. I'll remind everybody the start of our show. We always say we're doing hazy memory riffs. Right. <laughs> and this is definitely one of those. So Brennan fell asleep during it. I was tanked. I was drunk off my ass watching this with my buddy Landon, my buddy Ian a couple weeks ago. So we were kind of half watching it, half fucking around. Mm. Um, and I, some of the details are definitely missed on me too because I haven't watched this movie in forever. Although I do own it, actually. Do you own it on VHS or on DVD? DVD. I don't. I think when this movie came out, DVDs were already a thing. Yeah, they so were. So I probably bought it, and yeah, I own it. I couldn't tell you how many times I've watched it. Not very many. Well, should we? Uh... Should we play what the, the brothers said to everyone when they killed them? Yeah, so th this will give you kind of the essence of what the brothers believe. Let's play that drop. It is your corrupt we claim. It is your evil that will be sought by us. With every breath, we shall hunt them down. Each day, we will spill their blood till it rains down from the skies. Do not kill. Do not rape. Do not steal. These are principles which every man of every faith can embrace. These are not polite suggestions. These are codes of behavior, and those of you that ignore them will pay the dearest cost. There are varying degrees of evil. We urge you lesser forms of filth not to push the bounds and cross over into true corruption, into our domain. But if you do, one day you will look behind you and you will see we three. And on that day, you will rip it. And we will send you to whatever god you wish. These are not polite suggestions. Their accents are all over the place in that scene. Do you think they could have, do you think Trey Duffy could have found, you know, some English people to play these characters? You mean Irish people? Or, or Sorry, Irish people. Or even like, I mean, even English people would have been, would have sufficed because they could have at least done an, an, a good Irish accent. I read a casting what if. Apparently Troy Duffy sat down with uh, Ewan McGregor to be one of the one of the brothers and apparently something Troy Duffy said something to Ewan McGregor that really offended him and Ewan McGregor walked out of the meeting I could imagine Ewan McGregor in this movie but I couldn't imagine him in this poor of a movie dude star that fucking episode one came out the year before this yeah I think maybe Ewan McGregor not being a part of it might have stalled out the production of it because I, I feel like that would have been, I think there was a, a bit of a, a lot of the budget of the movie was going to be in the cast. And I think that's Troy Duffy, like if offended him by saying like, oh, I could make this movie for cheaper if we didn't have you or something like that. Um, I, this is very, very, very bad research, by the way. Brennan facts. You need a, we did Brennan frack drop. Ooh, maybe we do. I'll get Abby to uh, record that. <laughs> That'd be fine. So yeah, their accents aren't very good in that scene. And the, what's funny is that they don't have the same accent, even though they're brothers. <laughs> that's that's the most noticeable thing. Is like, why don't they sound similar in their like their vowels? Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, you and McGregor was probably smart to walk away at the time. Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus were no great no great shakes. So I, I get why they did it. Mm -hmm. The script, I mean, the script is sort of interesting it just wasn't very well executed but yeah those are the brothers and you know more or less i like them i like there's problems with this movie but i don't think that sean patrick flannery or norman reedus are to blame oh no not at all i mean 
<clears throat> accents aside, like I totally forgot that Norman Reedus was even in this movie. I mean, I love the first like four seasons of Walking Dead, and he is one of my favorite parts of that. And he's definitely a, he's a very he's a good actor. Let's get into you know my favorite character in this movie. Let's talk about Willem Dafoe as Paul Smecker, the the detective, the FBI detective, FBI agent. I don't I don't know. He's a detective agent. Oh my gosh, he is one of the most interesting characters in this movie this flamboyant he's a gay detective he has he's just he's very he has like a super sense of like being able to assess like shootouts and like how things went down he's like he's like the gay monk you ever watch monk i've never watched monk no oh yeah he's like the gay monk monk's not bad the first three seasons but uh, like we've mentioned already, he's morally conflicted because he supports what the brothers are doing because he's getting, they're getting all these, you know, bad guys off the streets. But, he, you know, but he's has to stop them from what they're doing. But, yeah, the best scenes in the movie are of him visiting the crime scenes and, you know, narrating us through all the carnage that was happening during this. In these scenes, too, he's like. I, I, maybe I'm misremembering this, but like he's playing out the scenes as they're also happening, correct? Yeah. So they intercut him talking, talking through what happened to the cops with actual footage of the 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 crimes being committed, so that it's not it's not just him talking. It's like him talking over what the brothers were actually doing, and him like walking through how they were doing it and what they're doing because he's such a great detective, he can just see it all in his his mind's eye. And there's there's a lot of like kind of cheap low hanging fruit like gay stuff in this with him like yeah. there's a lot of like I don't know him winking at guys slapping guys on the butt stuff like like stuff that probably you know it's stuff that a straight dude would write a gay detective doing you know what I mean that <laughs> right. that's how it seems that's a, that's a good description of it but uh, let's play everyone a little bit of some of the best lines from Willem the Foe and. Boondock Saints. But it's okay with me if your friends sleep over. Allow me to enlighten you, gentlemen, to the protocol of the porno industry. What we have here, gentlemen, is possibly the beginning of the first international mob war. Kind of makes me feel like river dancing. So there were some of the best lines from uh, Willem Dafoe, and the description on this video was... Willem Dafoe had too much fun making this movie, and I have to probably agree. I imagine he's just like, yeah, you can just play this character however you'd like. And I feel like, I mean, Willem Dafoe was always kind of a, he was a, a big actor starting in like the 80s through 90s, but he was kind of, I would say, kind of unknown. I think he just became a lot more well-known. That might probably happen because of Spider-Man, right? Oh, yeah. Um, definitely Spider-Man, I think, really, really like super launched his career. Right before Spider-Man, he did this this really weird movie called Shadow of the Vampire, which I want to talk about real quick. Mm. Like, it's about a filmmaker in like I don't know, nineteen hundred or something like that, and the filmmaker wants to make a Nosferatu movie, and he casts Willem Dafoe as his main actor to be Nosferatu, and I think he thinks he's like a I think he thinks the character is a method actor in the movie but actually he's just a vampire like he just he he actually just cast a vampire to play Nosferatu in his vampire movie so Willem Dafoe has this really weird role where he's like kind of an actor but he's really just a vampire but he still is acting through scenes and then randomly killing the actresses and shit on the side it's a really strange 
huge movie. Um, and then he was also in the, I think it's 1985 or so, Mississippi Burning with Gene Hackman. That's a really good movie. Um, Willem Dafoe's in that. And he's a great actor. You said it. And I, I think if Troy Duffy was smart, he did just give Willem Dafoe free reign to do whatever he wanted and change the lines however he wanted. And assuming he was smart with that because he wasn't smart on too many other things. And again, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, the rest of the cast, pretty forgettable, to be honest. David Della Rocca, as I mentioned, is their their sleazy Italian friend Rocco, who's, who's just rich with horrible racist jokes and, <laughs> and uh, killing cats. And Billy Connolly is kind of cool as Il Duce. And then Ron Jeremy has a cameo we mentioned, and everything else is forgettable. There's an actor in this movie named Bob Marley, who plays one of the detectives. <laughs> I just only know that because I'm just looking up the IMDb. Yeah, we'll get to that guy in a bit. We've got a, I got a funny scene from him, but um, because we're doing Boondock Saints this week, the reason we're doing it is because I recently went to Ireland and we thought this might be a good opportunity to talk about some shit going on in Ireland that maybe people that haven't been there would want to know or people that have been there might just want to hear again. So let me just like tell you, I went there with my wife and my parents at the end of March. The first thing you need to know is that like all the beer there is delicious. You ever heard that like in, in the States that like beer is an acquired taste? It's like it, it's like when you first taste beer when you're a kid or a teenager, you like don't like it that much. You're yeah. like, eh, it's kind of weird. And then it's like over time, you just drink it. You don't need to acquire it in, du- in Dublin. It's like it just tastes good. Like you, they just make their beer taste better. It's got different ingredients. It's brewed differently. They have higher standards there. The beer is better, and anybody that says otherwise hasn't been. The Guinness is especially different. It doesn't t- like our Guinness tastes like like so syrupy. It's like chocolate milk. Mm. It's but there there's just it's like it has the consistency of beer. Like it's just dark, but it just it looks and feels and tastes like beer. Really good, you know, darkish beer. And it's, it's, I don't think it's as strong there, but it tastes so much better. Mm. Um, there's, it's a, it's a melting pot there too. There's, there's every creed, nationality and language you can think of. There was a lot of people from the European Union that had migrated to Ireland and were working there. We met people from all over the place and they all speak English, but it doesn't matter because you can't understand the scotch. Like the, the people from Scotland, you, you cannot understand. I couldn't anyway. I couldn't understand what the fuck they were saying. Like, I think it's called a brogue. And it's like the way that they they sort of like combine their essence and the cheese and the large. And the, there, mm. there's like a, I don't, I don't know to, how to do it. I don't do it very well, but you know, when somebody like somebody speaks a sentence mm-hmm. and you miss like one important noun in it and you don't know what the sentence means at all. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it's like speaking to the Scotch, and they're everywhere in Ireland. Mm. There were kilts everywhere. There was a big rugby match the first night we were there, um, and there was a soccer match like the last night we were there. Like shit was going on. Dublin was lit. Let me tell you, we loved it there. Um, we met this flower salesman. This dude said he'd been selling flowers on the streets of Dublin with his mom like his whole life, and he used to be in prison for some like really hard drugs. And he like got really drunk and he came over to me and gave me like one of those really serious pep talks about why I shouldn't do like heroin and shit. Mm. (laughs) But I could only make out every third word or so because his accent was so thick and he was drunk and he was talking really soft in a busy Irish pub where everyone's laughing and carrying on. And, but the, what what did come out of it was he told us that him and his mom knew Brenda Fricker, (laughs) the, the, the pigeon lady from home alone Two, Uh, and my left foot. So 
apparently Brendan Fricker loved his mom's flowers and she bought flowers from her forever and they were like friends. I bet he tells every American that story. That's what we were thinking. It was like, okay, there's like what three or four famous Irish actors ever. Of course he's gonna bring up Brenda Fricker, you know, <laughs> right. like we wouldn't even know anybody else. There's like Brenda Fricker, Ewan McGregor, and I don't know, maybe maybe one other. I don't know. So one thing I want to talk about in Ireland is like the countryside roads, they don't have shoulders. And they're all like the, on the side of the road, it's like built up. It's like there's like a big giant mound. Mm. So it's like you're sort of driving in like a mini little tunnel. And they're all like two lane highways, one lane going one way, one lane going the other way. And you can't fit big vehicles in these tiny little lanes. And so there's these big fucking tour buses everywhere. And they're like legit in your lane. Like I'm not exaggerating. They're like in your lane, barreling down at you 70 miles an hour. And there's no fucking no lights anywhere. So like the, I'm thinking like who the fucking text and drive out here? You kill yourself. There's like, there's the, the roads were treacherous and you're driving on the fucking wrong side of the road and you're on the wrong side of the car. Like I was my stepdad's navigator the whole time. And every time I say left, I would tell him to turn left. I'd have to say, turn left, stay left. Like you'd have to turn left and stay in the left lane. I'd have to say that oh, every like, time. Cause you don't, don't turn into the right lane. Exactly. Right. <laughs> turn left, stay left. Uh, it was like, we said that again and again during the trip. Did you ever drive? Uh, no, not really. Just no, Dan, my stepdad drove pretty much the whole time. Mm. Um, we had one really awesome night of drinking with a bunch of local Irishmen at Bunratty Castle, which was super fun. Mm. My wife and my mom like went inside the castle and did this whole like interactive experience where they like they make a stranger from out of town sing and all this bullshit. And my my stepdad and I were just getting drunk with these awesome dudes we met there at the the local pub. And wherever we went outside of Dublin, like we traveled through all of all of Ireland. We loved Bunratty. We loved Galway. And everywhere you went outside of Dublin, they all talked mad shit about Dublin. Like it was really funny. Like Dublin's like they're like really liberal city, I guess. It's like if you go there, it's like it's like I'm from the Bay Area. It's like, okay, this is not that liberal. Right. right? But like in Ireland, they think like Dublin is like super like liberal. And they're like, just join England out of you fucking dubs. I must have heard that 10 times. These fucking dubs. That's what they call people from Dublin. It was great. That's awesome. So anyway, I, I just want to say, like, I've been kind of depressed about the state of Americans the last six, seven years living in the Bay Area. We talk about on this show how how sad I am at, like, the number one songs of the month and all that shit. It was really refreshing to get out of the country, meet a completely different set of people, and realize how different their values were and how and how they're so uninfluenced by all of American bullshit. And it made me want to move. Mm. They were just good people. They were very genuine. That was the number one thing I took out of there. The country is gorgeous, but the people are even better because they're just themselves. They're so real. And I just love that. It was just like a, without like a, not a bucket list, but this is like, you've always, have you always wanted to go to Ireland? Um, You know what? No, not really. It mm. was, it was a bucket list from my stepdad, Dan, mm. for sure. And Jill will travel anywhere, anytime. Yeah. That's like her favorite thing in the world. And I, I was up for an overseas travel. And my one thing is I just, I was afraid to go to a non-English speaking country because I was just afraid. So mm. my first overseas experience, I just wanted it to be an English speaking country. So we settled on Ireland and I was, I was like, yeah, that's cool. So we, we really did have a good time. Definitely recommend the trip. I, I definitely, I, I've been to England. I've never been to um, Ireland. I definitely want to get over to Ireland, Ireland sometime. 
Sounds yeah, like, apparently sounds like it like rains all year, like fucking Seattle. Mm-hmm. But the week we were there, it didn't rain at all. And mm. everybody kept telling us how amazing that is because we were there kind of in spring, you know, mm. and it was just it was like 75 and sunny. It was like it was like Seattle in August. Mm. It was just like perfect the whole time we were there. Mm. Maybe you maybe you had the maybe you had the, the luck of the Irish. Yeah, maybe the, the leprechauns down my pants. <laughs> um so yeah, it was a great trip. Thanks for giving me five minutes to talk about that. Yeah. It was really fun and I do recommend it. This is not this is not sponsored by uh you know Ireland uh vacation vacation or travel department. I don't know what they call it over there. Oh wait, I got one other thing I gotta tell you. Yeah, for sure. In Ireland, there's like no censorship. So oh. every night on TV, there was some show called Naked and Dating or something like that. Mm. It was something like that. And it was like, it was like five dudes come out and they're totally naked. And it, like, they're in these little things and you can't see anything except like you see them from like the waist up and then you see them from like the chest up and then you see the full body and every round somebody gets eliminated. And there's a woman and a host like talking through what she likes about like the dude's dongs and stuff and then doing close-ups on the dongs wow this is literally like channel this is like abc for us this is like it's like one of the main cable channels i was just flipping through the channels one day and like there's a fucking vagina on tv i was like holy shit and jill comes out of the bathroom she's like what are you watching i was like i don't know it's just on tv (laughs) uh yeah i mean that's i think that's all of uk they don't have any problem with people being naked over there I wish it was something that America could adopt so we weren't so like prudes about people's bodies um, I don't know man after watching all those close ups of the dude's dongs I certainly wasn't into it I was like okay change the channel already <laughs> um, can we change it back when it's six chicks and one dude picking them like I can't watch this this is like funny. it's too much dong we're, we're bringing into the best scenes of this movie yeah so I love there's this part at the beginning where Detective Greenlee is going through what he thinks happened to the Russians after they got beat up by that like flying toilet bomb. And it's right before we meet Willem Dafoe. But Greenlee, and this is like his only real scene in the movie that matters, gets like, I don't know, 40 seconds to just go on this funny little rant about about his description of the event. So we thought we'd play that job because it's one of my favorites. All right, all right. Say these two guys, they don't even know the fucking huge guy. They're just staggering home from a bar, still all fucked up from St. Paddy's last night. They decided to take a shortcut down through the alley. Wrong fucking alley. Because this big motherfucker, he's just waiting for him, right? And what could be more perfect for a strong arm robbery? Two drunk guys, all bandaged up. They're already injured, for Christ's sakes. Look at them. So these guys are stumbling through the alley. This guy takes a blunt object, fucking whack. Hits the guy with the bandages around his head, right? Why? Because he's smart. He knows the guy with the bandages around his ass. He ain't going nowhere. He's going fucking nowhere. Where are you going? Nowhere. That's right. He ain't done yet. He comes over here and jumps on this guy's back and crushes him to death. I feel something big here. Wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of these turning up. Brilliant. So now we got a huge guy theory and a serial crusher theory. Top notch. And yeah, Willem Dafoe's not impressed by that guy's... uh his assessment of the situation because it's not true at all no but i like that speech i actually did that speech for an audition one time for interplayers theater when i lived in spokane forever ago oh really yeah it was part of i like i prepared it and i did it it was it's a funny speech and it's like if you see the guy's face like he's good at it like fucking it's like he does it really well i have to say the best scene in this movie is easily the 
the line that we started this show with was it was a firefight and it was it's it's Willem Dafoe at its at his best in this movie and it's also like probably one of the best shootouts between the brothers and the dad El Duce is it El Duce is that what I'm saying that right it's El Duce El Duce I mean that go without saying that's one of the best scenes yeah I agree um all the best scenes in this movie are the ones where it's Willem Dafoe explaining what's happening in the in this firefight you know Gannon. Uh, there was a firefight! <laughs> uh, Any excuse to play that is good. So uh, let's get into the production history a little bit. Um, we've said his name a few times. This movie was written and directed by a Boston bartender and bouncer named Troy Duffy. Troy Duffy pins this movie, gets into the hands of the right people somehow, he gets offered a huge mega deal from Harvey Weinstein at the time, which included a $15 million budget and a big directing fee, which is like, you don't get those anymore. Like this, this must've been a late 90s thing. Like this, this kind of shit doesn't happen. You don't give these kind of offers to first time like writer directors typically. There were options for Duffy's band to sign a major label and they were going to purchase Duffy's like bar where he hung out and he was going to own it or something. Like it was just this sweet ass, dream come true kind of deal that guys like me screenwriters like fantasize about like the kind of shit you that you like hear about happening to like one in a million the early casting conversations uh included ewan mcgregor like brennan said they also included mark Wahlberg and brendan frazier for the brothers plus for willem defoe's role they were looking at sylvester stallone kevin spacey and mike myers like big a-list talent that had worked with like weinstein's production company and that they thought they could get like these were legitimate options duffy was an overnight success and it and there's a there's a, a documentary about him called overnight which we'll get into a little bit but the success never brought humility he was infamous for being this arrogant late irrational anti-semitic like asshole to like everybody including harvey weinstein apparently who's like you know gift wrapping this dude's career for him like mm. Weinstein's like giving this dude an a-list career on a fucking platter and Duffy doesn't appreciate it he doesn't he doesn't play the game he doesn't act like um honorable and he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't fit into his role he thought he was a bigger he thought he was a bigger swinging dick than Harvey Weinstein at the time because he wrote this one script mm. and it was like it's just the dude is just delusional so him and Weinstein get in this feud over who can be a bigger asshole. Uh, and of course, Weinstein won. He grew, he, grew, he grew tired of Duffy, terminates the deal, gets the script blackballed from all the major studios for a few years. And like at the same time, Duffy like had these, these guys that were co-managers of his shitty band, and they were in charge of making the, production, the Boondock Saints production documentary. And he fires them over some bullshit and like stiffs them money. And they're so pissed off at him. They released the documentary called Overnight about what a giant asshole he is and how he fucked up his only chance to be Hollywood royalty. Like they just gave him the giant middle finger. And the the documentary Overnight is like much better filmmaking than <laughs> Boondock Saints could ever hope to be, ironically. Interesting. So it's it's just one of those like cautionary tales of, you don't really have anything until you've made it, made it, right? Yeah. Like he thought he'd made it, but he hadn't made it yet. I want to watch that documentary. It sounds very interesting to learn more about all this because that 
this movie would be so different if it would have been produced by Miramax, like especially in the mid nineties, like it would have been a completely different film. I could imagine. Yeah. So it's, it is an interesting story and, and you should watch it. Um, this is what we said earlier. This movie was kind of part of the nineties crime and blood soak genre that were all essentially reservoir dog wannabes. Mm. How do you feel about that genre in hindsight? Well, I mean, I feel like Quentin Tarantino did it best and then he had a bunch of people copycat at him. I feel like the genre is not that great. It, it's only held up by a couple of really good films. And like, I'm we're, we're lucky that we have Reservoir Dogs because we have, a, I mean, Quentin Tarantino is an amazing director and writer. I don't know. I don't know if I think highly of it. I don't really care for that the genre that much. I, you know, we got Pulp Fiction it, and Reservoir Dogs, so... Yeah, it suckered me at the time. I definitely watched a lot of this shit. What are other examples do you have? Well, I, I think, I mean, Robert Rodriguez was doing it. I mean, mm. uh, Desperado. Desperado, I guess, sure. yeah. I, and, but I don't, you know, I don't consider him like a Tarantino wannabe. I mean, he's definitely his own thing. Right. It was just kind of what was in at the time. Uh, what's that movie I love they did together? Um, From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn, yeah. You know, that's vampires, but it's similar. There was this, there was this movie called Way of the Gun with like Benicio del Toro and Ryan Felipe or Felipe Ryan Felipe. And it, it looked like it was like one of these, but it was so stupid and shitty. And that, that was most of what I remember is that most of them, which weren't like top, top a list cast and directors. Most of them sucked. They were like way of the gun. They were very bad and forgettable. In hindsight, I wish this movie could have been made the way it would have been made, but I, it sounds like Troy Duffy is just a, an asshole. It sounds like he, he, it sounds like he would have been better off probably selling this script and just letting a studio just make it how they want to make it. He was too much of an egomaniac. Yeah. He wanted to direct it. For sure. Um, and you're right. If he had just sold the script to Weinstein and they had to cast some other director and he had just become a screenplay writer, he could have carried that success for years mm -hmm. and wrote a, and got wrote, penned a bunch of action movies, sold a handful of them and, and done quite well. I mean, it's not like he did terrible though. This movie did, somehow escape you know irrelevancy to achieve cult status and did lead to some sequels that actually made money um because of this one's notoriety but anyway enough about troy duffy sure. i i mentioned a couple times this script even though it's really action-packed and has received a lot of praise from like you know young white males there's a lot of problems with it like it's there's a lot of racism there's a lot of homophobia there's sexism they beat up that militant lesbian at the beginning like the this the problems that Troy Duffy has in his head are just oozing out of the script on like through the pages. But in like the year 2000, that was hardly a deal breaker or even that rare. It's like, why are white guys from Boston so unlikable, Brennan? <laughs> they just seem like assholes. I don't know. They're they do like... seem like assholes. They're the worst. They seem like uh, guys with like small man syndrome and they just like have, a, they just have a chip on their shoulder and they just, and they are so fucking serious and they're so like aggro and a lot of them are small actually like that type of person i just never really see eye to... <laughs> i don't really see eye to eye with those type of people well, you couldn't you're like six one right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um so this movie was 108 minutes probably a little a little long but fine only 28 percent on rotten tomatoes not very well received from critics much more popular amongst its fan base. Again, like young white males, like we were when yep. we liked it in high school. We did like it. I'm not going to hide from it. We liked this movie. When I rewatched it the other day, I wouldn't say that I liked it, but I wouldn't say I hated it either. I mean, it was fine. Yeah. Like it, it had its moments. It's definitely like a nostalgia trip. 
if you're like a kid that was born like in the 2000s and you're like you were like going through movies to watch from like from the late 90s and you watch this i don't think you're gonna like it at all because it's this very it's not a good movie well anything else you want to say about the show oh he's got one last thing to say because i always seem to feel be the one that like always scoops you on this but you know do you know that they're making a boondock saints 3 i didn't know that no for what it's worth like a lot of the original cast is like attached at least like the sean patrick flannery and norman redis 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 they're all on board to to make a third one i've never seen the sequel did you have you seen the sequel yeah i i watched it one day while i was writing like i had it on and i was writing something so i wasn't i wasn't all that focused mm. When I did look up and pay attention, I thought it was really stupid. Mm. I thought it was like a bad cartoon version of part one. Oh. It was like it was trying to do all the same things that part one did, but it wasn't set up very well. It wasn't clever, and it felt very recycled. It yeah. was like, this isn't original at all. Yeah. I, one question I have to ask, and I we never really asked this, is like, does this movie deserve to be remade? I kind of think not just because Troy Duffy, the Troy Duffy problem. Mm. But I could see a remake working if he wasn't the director, even if he just wrote it and, and it went through some script edits. But if he didn't direct it, if he gave it to a more competent director and, you know, the problem with this movie, and I'm realizing this just right now as I'm talking in screenwriting, we, we often talk about the why, like the motive. It's never really made all that clear why these guys do this other than they want to help society, which just isn't very concrete. You know what I mean? If there, I think this movie could have really done with a personal revenge mm, factor. I just think about that you know too. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what what if the brothers lost somebody, and that person beat murder, murder it, through the system in the very beginning instead of that stupid montage where they're beating up the the lesbian? Like, if if there was some sort of like personal attachment that drove them to do this, I think you could connect with the characters a little bit more. And these are these are things that like a first time screenwriter doesn't know. And that's exactly why you your script goes through editing process. And that's oftentimes why you let a more seasoned director direct, especially your first script, because he would have picked up on that. And, you know, Troy Duffy was so into himself. He people I'm sure people told him that and he just didn't listen. Like no, nothing what I'm saying is revolutionary. Like he just he was just so egomaniacal as the story goes. I'm curious to know if what will become a boondock saints three and uh i don't really i mean i've never seen two i probably won't see three but uh you know you know more power to troy duffy for cashing in again it seems like one of those things i'm gonna get i'm gonna see on like hbo max or amazon prime in like six years like boondock saints three like now available and i'm gonna like pass i'm gonna like i'm gonna rewatch something i've seen 10 times it, it's not gonna be in either one of those it's gonna be on a voodoo or <laughs> what it'll be on it'll be like like a roku like roku yeah tv like apparently there's original content for that imdb plus anyway if you guys want to reach out to us if you think that we're awesome stallions of the night that can fulfill your wildest fantasies mm. give us those five star reviews on apple itunes music reach out to the show at super 90s brothers at gmail.com at Super 90s Brothers, at Spocast Pods with a K, AdamPitzler.com, all the shit. We want to hear from you. You guys are our fans. Give us the love. Let us let us know what your thoughts are. For Brennan Pointer, I am Adam J. Pitzler. This has been another Jameson drinking episode of Super 90s Bros, Boondock Saint style. And remember, if Harvey Weinstein offers you a movie deal, do whatever he wants at all costs. Peace.
Gannon. Uh, that was a fight!